the way you can live with your family is totally different than what most people even can comprehend. So parenting is supposed to feel good. Parenting is supposed to be joyful. It's not supposed to be this tough love, painful experience of control and punishment. And, you know, I'm doing this to you because I love you and forbidding things. It's, it's not a pleasurable experience to parent when you're controlling kids all day, every day. It's, it's hellish, actually. That's not natural at all. If you were on a deserted island with no cultural influence, you would never do that. You would live in partnership. Yeah, this philosophy is powerful. It's one of the most powerful things we could do for our world right now. It is because so much dysfunction that's happening out there is from control and abuse and modeling that power rules. And this is very different. This is modeling world peace in your home. It truly is. And so this is there's nothing better that we could be doing for the world in the state that it is right now than raising our kids with peace, partnership, and connection, because they then learn that everybody's needs matter, everyone, world, the world's needs matter, everybody on this planet, and it can be done to focus on that and meeting everybody's needs. So if you want world peace, start at home. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. In these recent times of sudden and rapid change, so many of us have been jolted awake. We've been given a great opportunity to clarify what works in our lives and what needs to be radically reinvented. In the area of schooling and education, many families that have never considered homeschooling are now thrown into this new experience. So for all our listeners out there that have school-age children, I just want to salute you and honor you for making it this far. Maybe like me, some days you're a big hot mess, or maybe some days you find your stride and you feel deeply present and connected with your children. Or maybe the whole experience has you asking some fundamental questions about parenthood, how we can educate our children, and how to improve the dynamics of family life. So that moving forward, how can we apply these lessons learned and choose with much more conscious awareness? To explore all of this, we have a very special guest for you today. Dana Martin is a world-renowned pioneer in the leading edge of something called unschooling, a type of homeschooling where children are self-directed in their learning and the parent serves as a facilitator. What I admire the most about Dana is how she has actually expanded this philosophy of unschooling beyond education into the realm of parenthood and family life. She advocates for a new partnership-based paradigm called radical unschooling, sometimes also called peaceful parenting. To me, she is truly a trailblazer as a children's right activist. Dana is a featured speaker at many major parenting and education conferences worldwide, and she's been on the Dr. Phil Show, CNN, Nightline, The Jeff Probst Show, Wife Swap, Fox News, 60 Minutes, and much more. She's an informational resource for homeschooling stories on the Discovery Channel, The Today Show, Our America on the OWN Network, and on the Oprah Winfrey Show. 
Dana has traveled all over the globe helping families change their lives by changing their parenting paradigm to bring more peace and connection. Beyond all this, Dana is also a doula, a midwife, an entrepreneur, and in my opinion, a true human pioneer. So please help me in welcoming the author of Radical Unschooling and Raising Rebels, this one right here, the pioneer of the peaceful parenting and radical unschooling movement, Dana Martin. Oh, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful intro. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for making time, Dana. I have such deep gratitude for your existence on the planet, especially during these incredible times that we're living in. And your message is so much needed right now. And I think I speak for all of us that we're just so deeply grateful and appreciative that you have tested this paradigm with for children with counseling, I'm sure thousands and reaching millions through all the media outlets to really anchor in this reality so we can just drop into this paradigm that you've created so lovingly for all of us. Oh, it's such an honor to be able to do it. I, I never planned on being a, a voice for this. It happened so organically and naturally after my son was born, my first child who's now 21. And I've just taken it one day at a time and I feel like this is my purpose. So thank you for giving me the, the opportunity to share more about it to your viewers. This is great. Can you take us back to the backstory? How did this journey start for you? Well, that's funny. So I have a 21 year old son. And when I was pregnant with him, I knew I wanted a natural birth. So I began researching it. And when you research natural birth, it kind of puts you in this little subculture anyway. And so I was introduced to a lot of uh, new things, uh, new, new perspectives about the medical management of birth versus natural birth. And I was, you know, had one foot in this whole dynamic. And when my son Devin was born, I had a midwife in the hospital, had a wonderful experience with him. Uh, I couldn't believe I did it. You know, everything started with birth for me. I couldn't believe that I did it without medical intervention because I didn't know anybody that had in real life, no friends, no family. And so I had a wonderful experience. It was holding him for the first time. And within moments of being uh, cleaned up, the nurses came in the room and turned on the television. And as they did, it was just this crazy moment where the Columbine shootings were happening live, like right when they turned the TV on. And they said, we're reporting live from Columbine, this tragedy. And I remember just holding him for the first time and looking up and seeing on the TV, kids jumping out of windows and mothers crying. And it was so crazy because I, I had just brought forth life and I was watching other mothers and you know, parents lose their children. So I thought to myself, like how many of those mothers and, and kids would have rather have been home that day? But they didn't know they had the choice because there's only one type of homeschooling that most people know about. And this was like 20 years ago. So like the really religious uh, focus, kind of keeping your kids in a bubble away from the real world. And my main thing was that I want my children to always have the choice to attend school or not. I want them to have the freedom to choose. And so they have, they've always had the choice. They've always chosen to be home or out in the real world, I should say, because it's not just in, at home. We travel, they, they are in their communities all day, every day experiencing things. So it all started then, the moment of birth. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It, it wasn't a situation where I was petrified of sending them to school because they get shot. So it wasn't this fear-based um, you know, motivation. It was more of, of children's rights and children's freedom. And I thought about the shooters. 
too and, and what happened to them to get to that point. It's interesting. Both of our babies were born at home naturally with amazing midwives and something, the hormones of bonding in the natural birth. And then when you put the baby on your breast, it just makes you see the whole reality with the eyes of love. I yeah, think 100%. Yeah. I mean, I'll never so forget holding. Yeah. Compassion towards it's almost like you start to just see everybody as children that you want to love. And that yeah. just turns into a natural set of actions that, that come from a place of love instead of a place of fear, I think. Definitely. And this is why I think birth is so important to, to a revolution. Because mothers are robbed of the experience that they're meant to have bonding with their children. When they go through the medical management of birth and, and the doctors are guiding it, and basically you know, give you a c-section take the baby from you now i know there's real reasons for c-sections but it's a very small percentage of women that actually need them but they're just given so recklessly and women are not allowed to bond with their babies the mothers and and they're told that to not listen to their baby they're told to not pick it up when it cries they're told not to feed it except on a schedule and um, to put the baby in a crib away from you and so much of that is meant to disconnect mother and baby there's an intention under all of it to do that from the beginning. But when you have a home birth or you have a midwife and a birth center or a hospital, well, it's really hard now actually to have a, <laughs> to have a hospital birth and have even a close to a um, natural birth, but that's intact. And when you, when you have that bond from the very beginning, it becomes easier and easier to listen to your instinct. And yeah, so I had home births of my other three, great experiences, but this is where it all started, honestly. Dr. Edith, it did. It started with birth for me and then just listening to my children. I held them when they wanted to be held, which was almost all the time. They were on me 24-7. I breastfed them whenever they wanted. They slept close to me in my bed um, with safe co-sleeping, you know, guidelines or whatever. I was really careful. And I learned um, that being a parent wasn't anywhere near as hard as we, we were told it would be. It was beautiful. It felt good. It wasn't uh, anything about tough love. It wasn't letting a baby cry it out. And so this whole world was blown open for me. And, and I remember having that feeling from the very beginning that I have to tell, I have to tell other women about this. I have to, this is my purpose because nobody knows like, how incredible this could all be when they step out of that medical matrix. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, what about all those doubting voices, right? Because I think we have some pretty radical listeners and viewers in our community. Talk to us about, you know, when you're a new mother and you have family members or the so-called experts out there really kind of bombarding you with a different message of you're going to spoil your baby if you hold them too much and you got to train them and, you know, all, all these storylines. Tell us about navigating that as you were a newer mother. You know, now you have 20 years of experience to be yeah. very confident, right? But when you're just starting out, what is that like? This is such a great question. And it goes, the answer is so deep. It has to do with the realization that we were conditioned to be people pleasers, especially as women. We were conditioned to need the approval of the authorities, the adults, the, the parental figures around us for them to tell us we were good. And so we'd ask their permission and we'd have to be granted permission. And they would say, yes, you're good. And basically we would only love ourselves when we were told that we were okay enough to. And so there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot there when you're looking for approval as a new mother that you really have to do the inner work and heal from that. But I will tell you that because I had a natural birth, it's, it was a lot easier that that was intact. And I was so strongly like a fiercely protective mother just by nature. And I'm not unique. Every mother is like this. Every mother can be like this. So it was hard when my mother-in-law, for example, uh, my one time, my ex-mother-in-law, um, when she rejected me, you know, when she criticized me, it was hard because I, I knew that I needed to do some inner work to continue to love myself. But I, I was faced with a choice of listening to my child and my instinct or having her in my life with her approval. And although it was hard, the choice was easy. I wasn't going to choose her approval of me over my child and my child's needs. But it, it is a lonely place for many of us in the beginning, isn't it? It's hard. Were you, did you deal with that too? For me... It helps that I dealt with that when I left a perfectly high-paying, very successful software corporate career and said, I'm just going to throw that all away and become uh, what some of my family members perceived like as a, as a quack, <laughs> a hippie healer, you know, and mm -hmm. I had gone yeah. to Harvard, got a math degree and had, had all those check boxes and a very hardworking immigrant family that really wanted success in the 3D sense of things, but I, I saw myself going down a path of living somebody else's life. And at a certain point, you just can't keep doing that anymore. And so right. by the time we started having children, I think we had kind of wore down all the walls and people said, you know, they do everything in a radical and weird and different way. So huh. yeah. that in a way made it easier when we chose home birth, co-sleeping and all the different choices we've made have, have at least been consistent in that way. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't step into the radical realm until uh, I had a child really at all. So, yeah. Wow. I, I love your story. That's amazing. The other piece is that we were pretty open with our friends and family about we weren't planning to have children. I think if I had read your book and came across your work earlier, we might have chosen to have children because my husband Dave and I had only seen the old authoritarian type of paradigm. Yeah. Or if it's not that, it's an overly permissive paradigm that seems like almost absentee parenting. And yeah. these paradigms just didn't resonate with us. And in our community, we tend to have friends that are free thinkers and we have respectful discourse with our friends about, you know, just, just the kinds of relationships we have with other people is never my way or the highway. So a parenting paradigm where that is built on my way or the highway authoritarian type of thinking just didn't resonate for us. So we thought, we're just not going to have children. And then one day I started having dreams and meditations and dreams and meditations repeatedly. Our first child kept coming to me and explaining that what you guys imagine as the parenting paradigm is nothing like how it's going to be. And he kept coaching me in my dreams and meditations and I started sharing this with Dave with family members with the community and so people understood that the conception pregnancy birthing choices all of that was guided by my child's spirit all the way through and so it's a natural progression of things that we would choose a certain kind of birth and a certain kind of upbringing to let him 
be the lead. And I really see us as kind of like his buddy, his tour guide, you know, you know, we, we've been on planet earth longer so we can make sure he knows how to cross the street and how to keep safe in those ways. But really this is his adventure to be had. We're here to facilitate that. So I was so grateful when I came across your videos and then started reading your book. I was like, Oh my God, this is somebody else has really taken time to live this life and prove it out that this is a beautiful way to live and it's completely possible. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever known kids that were more solid, grounded, and, and happy and fulfilled as unschooled kids. I run conferences I have for 10 years all over the world in Australia and England, um, many states in Mexico, and um, I'm actually running one in Miami next year. But when you come together and you're amongst unschooled kids, teens, and young adults, you, you feel, you feel a difference so much in their energy and their ability to just, age doesn't matter. Everyone are just, it's just people and connecting over common passions and interests and these unique individuals. It's just, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that my kids have taught me so much. It was from the very beginning, listening to my son, Devin, I, I didn't distrust him. I trusted him more than anyone in my life from the very beginning. And he led the way he did. And then my daughter, Tiffany, and then my daughter, Ivy, and they've taught me all so much and Orion, and they all still continue to. So I like what you use as the example of the tour guide. I like that because it definitely is that kind of role. It's a very involved role. And so I like what you also said. Um, what you also said is very true that it's either the authoritarian paradigm that most people know or a neglectful hands-off kind of permissive space. And oftentimes when people hear about a partnership-based paradigm, they, they, they don't really understand uh, what to do instead of the authoritarian dynamic. And so they just assume that it's a hands-off, neglectful, permissive paradigm. In fact, most of the news stories I did you know, early on a decade ago over the last decade, the news people that were you know, Fox News, the Oprah Winfrey Show, like all these people would come over and they would make these assumptions. They thought it was like this wild, radical, like super crazy woman raising these wild banshees. And then once they're there, I know it was like that. They, they're so freaked out. There's no rules. There's no punishments. What is this? And they, they meet the kids and they take a minute to like hear the philosophy, which makes perfect sense philosophically. They realize that their childhood could have been a lot different. And the, the veil is lifted. So the funny thing is, though, like when we were filmed, filmed for the show Wife Swap, and when we were filmed for, um, I think the Dr. Phil show, the producers and the people that were there as part of the crew got it. I mean, I had so many times in between like scenes that we were filming for Wife Swap with a crew of 15 people, all at different parts of our house saying, this is amazing. Like I've never heard this philosophy. It makes perfect sense. When I raise kids, I want to do this. However, when the shows come out, of course, there's an agenda. So, you know, there, there's an agenda of sensationalizing everything, but I still do it. I still say yes to each and every opportunity because the people ready for the message hear it. They, they see under the agenda. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for, wow, there, I have so many questions now because you've just steered the conversation into how to be an effective bringer of change. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you just, um, it's easy for us to just kind of run away from the whole paradigm completely that we don't 
totally agree with. And you've so lovingly chosen to say yes, hey, if you're ready, I have something better for you. And I'm willing to put myself in the line of fire, so to speak, and have people, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, criticize me and just that. Talk to us about that, how to be an effective bringer of change. So many good questions. I think you need to be so solid in your inner knowing that children deserve the same rights, respect, and freedom that adults do. You know, it's such a deep, deep inner knowing and also a compassionate understanding that most people don't get it. Most people aren't sitting, listening, and researching this philosophical perspective. They're not researching radical unschooling. They haven't read my books. They haven't read anything. And they're going on a false belief of what they think it is. So I always carry that with me on different TV shows that we've done. Talk shows are always the worst. They're so intense and you have people yelling at you. And I just, I know the most important thing when you're doing something with the media is to hold your energy, your, your word, that your body language and your energy and how you're saying and how you're interacting is just as important as the words. So I always meditate, take nice deep breaths, open my heart to understanding to every single person. I mean, I was right next to Dr. Phil his energy was really intense because he didn't have a clue what unschooling was. In fact, he hadn't even looked, researched the show before he was on stage with me reading a teleprompter. And I knew it was an intense thing for him. And I remember looking over at him and just feeling love and sending love and peace. And to everybody in, that I'm in contact with all the time, I, I feel that compassion. So the, the key is not taking it personal. It really is because we're so triggered when somebody's challenging us. And also, Oftentimes we feel that people with different opinions are our enemy. People that think differently are our enemy when in fact they're an extension of us. We're all one. And when you feel that, when you feel that oneness of all people around you at all times, it just becomes, it becomes not personal and, and you can just have fun with it. So yeah, I, I empathize. I do. When somebody challenges me, I say, I remember feeling that way. I totally do. If you would have told me 25 years ago that I'd be up here speaking about this, I would have told you you were crazy. So I, I hear you. So it's always that dialogue of connection, of partnership, extending radical unschooling philosophy or peaceful philosophy with everybody you meet. And I know in our community that can be hard because there's so much anger. There's so much anger, which is completely justified. I understand. However, if we are going to be peacekeepers and wayseers and bringing in, you know, ushering in this new paradigm, we need to own it. We need to be literally the peace that we want to see in the world. And so that's what I invite everybody to do to, to gain those skills. Yeah. So Raising Rebels, chapter 13, you tell the story of traveling back from London. You guys... This book is amazing. Please go get it. Raising Rebels. Actually, what's so interesting is that inside the book, the conversation is about having a dynamic that's so harmonious and peaceful, there is nothing to rebel against. So I found it kind of an interesting yes. paradox that the title is about raising rebels and the people inside are showing you a way of living that is so harmonious, so sweet, so peaceful, so unconditionally loving that there is nothing to rebel about, just living the state of love and compassion. But in chapter 13, you share this story that really made an avalanche of tears come down my face as I was reading it. You were coming back from this 
conference in London and there was this cranky mother with two young children and you were traveling with your children and she was, if I remember correctly, she was impatient with her children. At a certain point, she wanted her kids to sit down and shut up and she was pinching them a little bit too tight and it was just really hard to watch. Anybody in that situation, you might find yourself judging such a mother. Mm -hmm. And you soften that and instead switch seats with your son to sit next to her and to ask her, hey, how are you? Can I help you? And that turned into this beautiful conversation and she started sobbing, telling you about she had been traveling for three days straight with two kids, her flight delays, all her luggage loss. And, and then immediately as I'm reading that, my heart just flooded open for her because I've been in some of those situations as a mom with kids and, and luggage loss and traveling and you know, we can all relate to that. And in the end, your kids just babysat her kids and gave her a chance to take a break. And oh my God, it was so beautiful and just a much needed reminder, especially with everything going on in our world right now, this meeting one another with love and understanding. Yeah. Yeah, even hearing you say that story again brings me back to that time of, of choosing to step over that threshold of judgment because we're all faced with it. And, you know, when everybody first wakes up, we wake up at different stages. And when you first come to understand certain aspects of parenting and all of a sudden you see everything as abuse and, and it truly is, you know, authoritarian parenting is very abusive. It, it can be very triggering for people. And so all of a sudden you're, you're awake, you hear about a more partnership-based loving philosophy. And when you go out, you see everywhere. Um, parents being mean to their kids and you're seeing the parents as hurt kids and it just feels really dark in the beginning stages and so in that stage it's, I think part of the process is judging you're, you're kind of seeing and you're going that's wrong I know that now I know that's what's happening is wrong oh, I can't believe that mom's being so mean oh look at how mean that dad is and my kids even in, you know years ago when they were tiny would say to me why is that that mommy's being really mean to her child and I would say I know I know well as I continue to grow and evolve I, I realized judgment doesn't heal the world yes you're, you're noticing a difference in how things are done and that judgment again is part of the process but keep going keep going past judgment step into an awareness that people just don't know they don't know about this option they, they have never heard it before you don't know what their story is and this mother she was so beautiful i instantly felt this connection with her and i got her a cup of tea and she sobbed and she you know gave me a hug and she, I saw her sleep. She slept the whole flight after that with her baby, you know, just with her child. And she was sound asleep, her mouth open, you know, and just I remember looking at her going, oh, wow, I, I'm on to something. This is like next level. I, I have to now teach people about this, <laughs> embracing each other. Because it was, through, it was through the kindness and peace that I extended to her that she's able to be a more peaceful mother. So we all have a responsibility to ch the children of the world. And by judging their parents and getting mad at people aren't, that aren't doing things the way you are will never help these children, will never help these adults heal. There's so many ways you can nurture this and your children too and talking about this. So now when I see a mom being mean in a store or what I perceive as mean, um, like my kids will even say to me, and this is how I'm, I'm really happy that I've always spoken about it. They'll say like, oh, I bet that mom's had a bad day. And I'll go over and I'll ask sometimes if the energy is right, you know, you feel it out, just like, can I help you? Do you need a hand? 
yeah, and it really, really helps, so. I'm just like on the verge of tears thinking about this. Yeah. And we need this now. We need to be there for each other. You know, the, the racial tension is so incredible. I just moved to Miami. And you can feel it when you go out. Don't underestimate smiles. Don't underestimate. Don't, don't be afraid. Open your heart when you're, when you're coming across anybody, when you're out in public now, like picture your heart space opening and just connecting and sending love out to everybody and a smile, man, a smile. We don't underestimate like smiling in this human connection because everything we're being told is media driven and don't let this divide us as human beings at all. And so the smile, the connection, the open heart understanding that people are struggling on so many levels right now. And we are, we are the ones ushering this in. We're wayseers, we're pioneers, we're, you know, we need, this is our responsibility to lead the way. So um, I wanna encourage people to just do that. And it's hard when you feel the negative energy out, you know, the grocery store today, I could feel it. And my, my instinct is to kind of keep my head down because I'm like, whoa, I can just feel being an empath and going into a space of tons of dark, you know, negative, fearful energy. I don't know about you, but I can, I can just feel it. And it just like, whoa, it brings me down. And I have to take a really deep breath and like hold my head up and hold space and say, I have the power with my love and my positive energy to shift even a little bit. I can shift the energy in here. And I do. So now I know for a while getting through all this, that that's another level of responsibility. So yeah, it feels really good. Another amazing human pioneer that we interviewed named Jazz Muheen. She had a saying that everybody loved when they watched that episode. She said she realized for herself she had to stop playing the absorption game and start playing the radiation game. Yes, oh, I love that. Radiate and stabilize into the field a different frequency. And that's a huge part of the activism that we're here to do is to hold that state that we are teaching and preaching about but we have to live it and hold it and radiate that into the field mm, i love that you know like before i go in the store i sit in the car and i i just set my intention of of how i wanted it to go and so it takes time and effort to kind of be in that space of radiating and we have to consciously decide before i go in here i'm going to do this because absorption the absorption game we can't just go in and let default energy just happen because it will bring us down and it'll affect everything. So to set that intention, to put on music you love before going in the store, that's what I do. I crank music that makes me feel so good. I consciously raise my vibration before going in and everyone I see, I'm smiling and, and they're just looking at me. It's funny. Everyone's just looking. I can tell they must just feel the energy and, um, just nice comments and hi, how are you? Oh, excuse me, thank you very much. Engage with the human population around you. Engage with the oneness. I think we can really make a difference doing that. So for people that are new to the term unschooling and new to the term radical unschooling, can we define some of these terms for everybody? What is unschooling and sure. what is radical unschooling? So unschooling is a method of homeschooling. It's legal in all 50 states, but most unschoolers, a little over 50% statistically are underground. So they're not reporting, for example, which is kind of controversial, I realize, for some people, but in our community, I think it's totally understandable. Um, and it's a method of homeschooling in which you don't use um, anything. Well, if your children want to use curriculum or something schooly, you can. 
but most children choose not to use anything like that. Um, it's about deprogramming your mind, deconditioning to seeing, learning, and seeing everything in schooly terms. So another level of stepping into what unschooling is about is realizing that you've been really brainwashed and conditioned to see only certain things of value that a children's learning. And then we kind of cut out everything else they're doing besides these subjects and, and don't hold value to it. So unschooling is not unlearning. And this is a really important thing because see, people have a love-hate relationship with the label unschooling. I realize that because it sounds, you know, it sounds like what we're not doing instead of what we're doing. And I think it's the most accurate term once you understand what it means, but it means not doing school unschooling we're not doing school it doesn't mean on learning it doesn't mean on educating it's just we're not doing um, we're not institutionalizing we're not going through the motions we're not making kids learn a curriculum that kids in school are learning just at the kitchen table it's letting go of the entire framework the entire agenda of school altogether and instead i'm facilitating our kids learning based on what they're interested in so unschooling is freedom to learn there's no forced learning there's a great author that I invite you all um, to, to read and to learn more about this, this life, uh, John Holt. Um, he was the first person to coin the term unschooling in the 1970s. And it was kind of a funny little joke that he did because at the time there was commercials in the 1970s and early 80s about 7-Up being the uncola. And so he coined the term unschooling based on this kind of funny little thing and it stuck. So um, unschooling is educational freedom. So I'm not my child's teacher but I am my child's learning facilitator. I'm not standing in front of them, pouring knowledge into them as the all-knowing authority. That's not how it works. I'm their learning facilitator, and it's a very hands-on role. And whatever they're interested in at the time, whatever their passions are, are the nucleus of their learning. And it's my job to bring as many resources or opportunities um, into their lives as possible to learn and grow from based on this interest. So radical unschooling is see most people get the unschooling thing it's really kind of easy for people to grasp like yeah kids can learn there's so many resources school and you know public school is so outdated it's like caveman form of learning and it's mostly daycare essentially now i think that if a child chooses school i don't think it has the heart as harmful of a as an effect as if they were forced to go by any means if they choose to go for whatever reason but i don't know any unschoolers that really choose that because the oppression within it and the folk the not non-focus on really at learning or education is they, they go and they're like why am i here i'm spending eight hours here and we're learning for maybe an hour hour and a half between recess and lunch and gym and bells ringing and there's just so much busy work so um john holt writes a lot about uh, not not no forced learning that forced learning um, is very unjust. And I've taken this further to, ex to expand on this in my work that, you know, forcing a child to learn something against their will is, is not true learning. This is never going to work. In fact, you're just teaching them obedience. You're, you're, you're conditioning them to obey. It's not about learning anymore at all. So if a child has no interest, it's a waste of their time. It's, it's unjust. Can you even imagine somebody forcing you? Like imagine Dr. Edith, if I said, you need to read this entire book on how to repair a car engine. I don't care that you're not interested in it. You might need it someday and you're going to finish. And if you don't, you're going to be put in, in prison. Like 
you know, like detention, or you're going to, I'm taking away your things and you're going to be given a bad grade, which is going to affect you. I mean, think about how unjust that would be for an adult, even with all the life experience you have and the ability to, to be mindful and the emotions that you've learned to kind of control. Can you imagine a little child? Can you look back to your own childhood? It's the same thing. And it's very disrespectful and it's cruel and it's abusive and it should never be done. Forced learning is completely against everything that we're promoting. So, yeah, so this life is about no forced learning at all. The understanding that humans learn when they are really primed and ready, when they're interested in something. Like anybody watching this interview right now, you guys want to be learning about this. It feels good, right? It feels good. You're taking it all in. You're hearing it. You're, you're actually having a physical reaction. You're feeling a connection. That is how learning should be for all human beings. Like it should be like this. And it is for unschooled kids with everything they want to learn about. It feels good. Learning is supposed to feel good. When kids say, I hate learning. No, they don't. They hate being forced to do stuff that they have no interest in because it doesn't make sense to at all. And so I truly believe that every human is on this earth with a gift and with a purpose and that we're not all meant to learn the same things in life. Like it's crazy who came up with the concept. And there's a lot of um, great books and resources about that. If you're interested, a school started, the Prussian model of school started in the 1800s and the intention was to make good factory workers and to dumb down the population. And in fact, I just read this actually last year, it was kind of new information, so interesting to me. Then the late 1800s, Forced learning in our country started in Boston, Massachusetts. And they literally, um, 85% of parents were like, we're not doing this. Are you kidding? You're not taking our kids and putting them in this building and forcing them against their will to do these things. And they were walked by gunpoint. Like they, they were forced to put their kids in school against their will. 85% of the population. It ne- didn't make sense back then. And this was, out re- this was without resources. I mean, now we have the internet and so many ways to learn. So this is in the late 1800s. Parents are like, you're not taking our kids and doing this. We don't feel that this is necessary. Well, over time, over human evolution in the last 100 years, we've been conditioned to believe that not only is it, it it's good, it's essential, that not doing that, it would be absolutely crazy and putting your kids at a disadvantage. Yeah, so parents didn't want to do it back then, and it just spread. It was mandatory. There was no choice. And kids were dumbed down. They were all taught the same thing. The overall intention of schools was to to create yes-men, to create obedient human beings, to undermine the connection between parent and child from the very beginning, and to make the state influential in the child's life, and to condition them for an entire life of, of doing this. And it works. It worked really great up until now. Now is the time where things are changing so big time and it's powerful. I I can feel it. People are waking up. So I'm like so grateful, aren't you, Dr. Yates, to be alive at this time in history, to bear witness to all of this. It's so incredible. And so grateful for our children that on a soul level, they knew that they were coming here to embody the new paradigm and to show us examples with their lives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so what radical unschooling is, is extending the freedom that children have with education to every area of their life. And this is a little bit harder for parents to wrap their heads around. 
but this is probably where I do, um, you know, 99% of my coaching and my support for parents is to understand how to apply this type of freedom to every area of your child's life. So my children have never had bedtimes. They've never had um, things that they were forced to eat. They have, they have complete freedom with everything that they would like to do, barring natural limitations such as finances, and, but we talk openly about all of that. My kids have had total freedom in their lives, and most people, when they hear that, they imagine kids like sitting watching TV all day with big chocolate cakes on their lap and just crumbs everywhere and just rah, like these animals, and um, that it would be total chaos with disrespect and screaming and, and the funny thing is the reason you feel that way is because you've been conditioned to think that would happen if you weren't controlling your kids. So we're, we're so conditioned. We were trained to train our kids. And so this is, I'm, I'm trying to help people break all of this down and to say, no, children make really good choices when given freedom. They make wonderful careers for themselves. They're fulfilled and happy, and they're, and they're pretty much um, unshakable when it comes to the influences of the state and authorities trying to control them. It's like they've never been conditioned for that, so it's just ridiculous sounding to them to be in that space. So I know it's scary maybe for parents listening to think about letting go of limits and trusting your kids. And in the beginning, when you let go of control and limits, kids do, by nature, want to do nothing but what was being controlled before. And so a lot of parents will come to me and say, okay, my kids have freedom with you know, technology or they have freedom with all of these things and all they want to do are these things now. They don't do anything else. And I want to say, yes, that's exactly what happens when you let go of control. Think back to when you were a kid or a teenager and you were out of your parents' view. You know, how many people just got so drunk you know, or did crazy things that you weren't ready for because you were so controlled. You know, the, the base thing I want to share is that all humans are born into this world desiring freedom. And when you rob a child of its birthright and the freedom to choose with your loving support and guidance, it warps the relationship with whatever's being controlled and limited. With, it really does. A human being gets, has a warped relationship with things that are being controlled and limited because their desire for freedom comes before finding moderation or balance. And so they, they don't know what, if they can trust you to like continue this freedom that, you're, that you've lifted when you lift the limits. So they want to do nothing but that because they don't know when their freedom is going to be taken away again. Now, this is normal. This is good when children do this. This is showing them, it's going to prove to you that this is a result of control. This is not a result necessarily of what you think is bad. Parents perceive it as an addiction or all they're doing is this and they're addicted. See, my worst fears come true. No, the results you're seeing of the imbalance and, and not having um, you know, personal moderation with these things is, is a result of control and limits. So this is what I help parents navigate. Usually it takes a while, you know, months, sometimes for kids to find their own balance, but they do. They do at individual levels. And when they do, you're going to see that they have the same control of the, their own um, desires. And it's not an addiction. You know, just like you do, you have the freedom and you make really good choices. And when, when you're a parent and you're modeling health and wellness and you're, you're being honest and you're communicating things with them about whatever they're you know, interested in, they make really good choices that will really blow your mind.
And I encourage all of you to, to reach out to me if you need help with this, because I know it can be challenging and really scary. But the results are amazing. I'm not kidding, which is happiness and whole people. Can we take just the example of, say, screen time? Mm -hmm. I know you have what our world would consider very unusual views about screen times. I've heard you say you don't even like to use that term screen time. No. So can we, can you take us on that whole journey of understanding how you manage that with your kids? Sure. Um, so when TV first came out, well, actually even bringing it further, when comic books first came out before radio or TV, parents were told to only let their children read these comic books for an hour a day, because if they read anymore, it would melt their minds and they would be zombies and they would be crazy from it. And parents did. There, there's um, studies, there's evidence, there's historical evidence that show how much comic, comic books were limited. The same thing held true with radio. My goodness, there was so many um, incredible stories, historical accounts of parents saying you get half an hour listening to the radio, that's it. You know, we've told, we were told that your brainwaves are going to be affected. Uh, pediatricians are warning us about letting you listen to this because of all the different waves and the effects that it has on you. And so the same thing is true. TV is really new historically. Screens are really, really new historically. And um, all of the studies done on kids surrounding these things are not done on free children. They are done on children that are controlled in the authoritarian paradigm who have an extremely different intention and relationship with, with technology. And so anything that I've ever read, and trust me, I, I was a naturally minded mom. We actually had a Waldorf toy business. It's still running. My ex-husband runs it. So I definitely was immersed in Waldorf and Montessori and alternative cultures. And the propaganda that was really scary surrounding um, screen time that I read. I was, I was nervous in the beginning. And, you know, trust me, I know this is super controversial. In fact, it's one of the most controversial aspects of what I promote. And I want you to take what works for your own family from the philosophy I'm sharing and leave the rest. So if you even say like, no way, can't go there, that's fine. I totally understand. You know, your family values and morals aren't the same as mine. Everybody can unschool differently. And it's really easy to control technology when your kids are young, but when they reach, you know, 13 years, 10, 11, 12 years old, they're going to want to explore um, using technology for learning and growth. There's, there's no doubt about it. And when you limit or forbid these things, it's way more damaging than the technology itself. Even with younger kids, the limits and control surrounding technology will hurt your child more, hurt your relationship with your child more than the technology ever would. Now, kids aren't sitting watching commercials anymore. That's, that's not how things are done. I mean, we're so in a different place than when we were kids and we were like just commercials were piped to us all the time. Kids don't want to watch those and they have the option to click through them all the time unless they're watching like full-on cable TV, which I don't know any kids that are. It's like Netflix or gaming or watching YouTube. But so my journey was kind of reading the history, learning the history of all of these new, um, new technologies. But the true test came with my own kids. When I saw that all of these scary things that I was warned about, they never happened, it never came true. And so although people would say to me, you know, what about this and um, what about this and that and all these fears, I, I, would, I would take it in and be like, well, we're waiting and seeing. And no, my kids have never, ever shown with complete freedom any negative side effects from it. I do um, connect with my kids, like my son Orion, who's 12, if he's been gaming for a while, for example, I'll go in and remind him to like 
why don't we get up and stretch? Let's go outside. And you know, how does your head feel? He, he actually was so amazing. He said to me like last month, he's like, mom, I've, I've learned about these, the blue light glasses. And I want to buy them with my allowance because I've heard it's so much more healthy for my eyes and my, you know, my brain to be able to use this. And I said, okay, cool. Yeah, show me. And he took $54 of money he saved to buy himself the blue light glasses. This is what happens with freedom and giving your kids information is they want to make healthy, good choices. When you're not controlling your kids, they're able to tap into, they know you want what's best for them. They know that, and then they want what's best for themselves. And they're so open and influenced by your information without control because when it becomes about like you versus your child with these kind of things, it, again, it warps the relationship. They just want freedom. They don't, they're not even going to listen to what you're saying about dangers. They just know all you want is to get them off of it. So again, I know it's really controversial and a lot of people watching might have really young kids and at this stage, it's super easy. You know, it really is with technology and um, kids are so wanting to connect to their parents and read books and, and all these great things like I did with all my kids but there does come a time where they get older. And so how are you going to handle when they would really like to use technology as a learning tool? Because for my children, I don't value books over technology at all. No way. I mean, we live in a book worshiping culture still, which is kind of crazy compared to like my, all the technology that's out there and, and the, the learning that can happen through learning um, with different resources online. And I think calling uh, your children's technology screen time is as disrespectful as just calling it paper time. You know, they're having paper time. Like that is so dismissive. If they were reading a book, what are your kids doing paper time? You know, it's, it's, it's disrespectful because of the negative connotations surrounding. So you hear screen time. There's nothing positive in the energy of that, that word. And that's disrespectful for your child if they, they're choosing that. So kids see all of their interests and passions and what they're really drawn to as an extension of themselves. And so if they're drawn to technology for learning and mom and dad are constantly saying that it's junk and it's bad for you, they really internalize it. And they wonder, my goodness, like, what is it about me that's junk and, and bad? Because I'm drawn to this. I want to learn from this. I, it's entertaining. I love it. I'm so excited about this, this mode of learning and but i'm told it's junk so there must be something wrong with me because i'm not accepted you know it's a really really deep powerful like um self-esteem pressure when, when parents do this and i've seen it for 20 years well-intentioned parents they're so afraid yeah. when you're afraid of something you want to control you'll notice that so you need to educate yourself more about about these things so um one last thing about this. So my kids, uh, I don't value technology any less than any other form of learning, whether it's books, magazines, um, mentorships, tours of museums, hands-on experiences, being out in the real world. It's just one of many, many choices for learning. And I know if I was to limit these things based on fear, because I read propaganda about how it you know, is, is damaging, I'd be limiting their learning straight up. That's what would be happening. I'd be limiting their learning. And, and this learning journey is theirs and I'm here to support it. So I give them information and I'm by their side. But if they choose technology to learn from in any way, shape or form, I'm, I'm, I'm totally supportive. Thank you for that. I think all the parents listening, uh, there's a lot of just relief that we don't have to be 
cracking down constantly and so vigilant on these things in our family is evolved naturally where I just check in and say, Hey honey, we're going to share a meal. Do you want to come? And then he'll just close the laptop and come. Or yeah. hey, we're going to go for a hike. Um, how's your show going? And he's, he will say, Oh, there's more five more minutes. It's like, okay, we can wait if you want to come. And then he's just happy. He got to finish his cartoon, close the laptop. There's no resistance or weird energy. It's just like, naturally flowing from one fun activity to another fun activity to another fun activity and because of that and so much of it is just your books and your teachings your videos has given us permission to just keep going with this flow our boy scrubs the toilet in a state of fun and joy and he likes to do all these things that i was brought up programmed to think of as chore you know she doesn't yeah. have the concept of chores. Putting away the dishes is fun. The cleaning the toilet is fun. Folding the laundry can be fun, you know? Just, yeah. our children are showing us just how seriously conditioned we were growing up in the old paradigm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And the thing is, when you're not in an authoritarian paradigm and punishing and controlling your kids all day, they want to be with you. They want to be with you. They want to go for these walks. They want to do things with you. They're, they're your friends. They're your friends. They're your partners through life. I mean, the family, the way you can live with your family is totally different than what most people even can comprehend. So parenting is supposed to feel good. Parenting is supposed to be joyful. It's not supposed to be this tough love, painful experience of control and punishment. And, you know, I'm doing this to you because I love you. And forbidding things. It's, it's not a pleasurable experience to parent when you're controlling kids all day, every day. It's, it's hellish, actually. That's not natural at all. If you were on a deserted island with no cultural influence, you would never do that. You would live in partnership. So um, yeah, I'm really happy to come on again anytime and really share how, like take it deeper. Well, what do you do instead of punishments and these kind of things? Because if anybody's interested, because there's so much to this philosophy and I know just the kind of introduction to it, it's kind of a lot to take in, <laughs> you know? A big question that a lot of people ask me and because our children are young, I don't have the experience to back up this intuitive feeling that I have. So okay. I think we all want to hear from somebody who's really seasoned in this way of working with children. How do children who have so much freedom Grow up not to be spoiled brats who only think about themselves and not others. That's one huge question. Yeah, that's such a great question. So children learn from modeling. And when you're generous with your kids, they learn generosity. When you're patient with your kids, they learn patience. When you're kind to your kids and empathetic and do exactly what you did and say, we'll wait till after your show. Just let us know when you're done and we'll go for a walk. What do you, that, what do you think that's modeling? I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm not really posing the question to just you, to everybody listening. What do you guys think of what would happen if you extended that? Well, kids learn that's how you are in the world, that everybody's needs matter equally, not just the parents' needs for obedience, which is what most people learn. The term spoiled kids comes from parents who control their kids all day, every day. And instead of giving them time and kindness and patience and focusing on their needs, they just buy them things as a replacement for love and that's it. And, you know, these kind of things, this is what produces what people consider spoiled. And what I think what spoiled is, is the opposite of what most people are told. Because again, 
we've been really conditioned to, to allow control and to think controlled punishments are good for us. So again, it's unbrainwashing. Kids that are like spoiled, I'm assuming it's like perceived as bratty that nobody, you know, um, all that matters is them. So when a parent is authoritarian and, and they're focused only on obedience and focused only on the parent's needs, the parent's needs for quiet, uninterrupted sleep, obedience, compliance, because that's how they're trained to train their kids. What is that modeling? That only their needs matter. Nobody else's. No one's caring about the kids' needs. Only the parents' needs matter. Kids, of course, grow up thinking that, that only their needs matter. This is what mom and dad have modeled for us. This is where narcissism comes to, we're like, there's so many crazy things that um, are so damaging, you know, in, in the world right now. And people's mental state is really, really sad because of what parents are doing and they don't realize it. So spoiled, like bratty human beings who only care about themselves are not from a partnership-based paradigm. This is not coming from parents who are kind and empathetic and loving and caring about their children's needs, quite the opposite. I think people will be really blown away with how loving, patient, and kind unschooled kids are. Yeah. Another question is, a lot of times I notice when I share this paradigm with other families and also on some of the internet forums that I'm part of, when people think of, okay, not the authoritarian paradigm, then we flip to, well, everything is about what the kid wants. So then somebody has to take the lead, right? So we'll just let the kid do whatever it is that they want to do. And then the parents' needs aren't met. And then they're burnt out and exhausted. And they're, they just can't keep going like that. So tell us about finding balance with that. Yeah, sure. This is, this is such a great question. I, I mean, you have the best questions today because they really dig deeper. And it's so essential for people to learn this to fully understand where I'm coming from. So when people are used to the authoritarian paradigm, that's like one person in control, controlling everybody else, basically. And no matter how gently, because I know a lot of parents are well-intentioned, they don't realize that they're, what they're doing is, um, is harmful or, or abusive or, or anything like that. And then when they, they learn what they don't want to do, they wake up, they hear this philosophy, they say, okay, we're not going to punish anymore. And we don't want to live in this dynamic at all. What they do, because all, of they, all they know is the authoritarian paradigm, is they just flip it and they put the child in the position of authority and they're the obedient one. This is part of the natural process of coming to this awareness, guys. It really is. And so, but most people do it that way. They think that they've, they've, they think they're living in partnership, but they don't realize that they've just flipped it. And it, you can't live that way. It's crazy. You know, like you just can't. And in fact, you're so, and most parents are so unhappy. I had a mom um, call me. It was a really amazing call and she was a very like affluent, wonderful, educated, very successful businesswoman who supports tons of other people. And she said, my child won't let me take a shower. And I said, what? And she said, I've been trying to apply your teachings and my child won't let me take a shower. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I asked her, can I take, you mind if I take a shower? And she's like, no mama. And she's three, you know, I want to play with you. And I'm like, oh, sweet mama. <laughs> Let me take you further down this trail because I totally get where you're at. And she was so, I said, no, you just say, I'm going to take a shower. You want to come in with me and hang out? And you don't ask permission. You don't put the child that's way too overwhelming for them. They shouldn't be the one in any authority position. That's not what you're, that's not what this life is about. And she was sobbing. She was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get it. I knew, I thought my brain just thought that's what I had to do. So instead of being like completely parent-led, 
controlling. They let the pendulum swing completely in the other direction to being completely child-led, which makes logical sense, I guess, if you don't know about this beautiful middle ground of everybody's needs mattering equally. You're not asking your children permission to do certain things. You're negotiating. Uh, maybe that's not even the best word. You're trying to find win-win situations, situations where everybody's needs matter equally. Putting a child in the position to be asking permission about all these family decisions, is they're not equipped with that. That's way too much of a burden, and that's just as overwhelming as that it flipped the other way. But I have compassion for you if you've been there. You just you have to keep going. And so the mother's like, wow, this just, why didn't I think it? Like, why didn't I realize that's what was happening? I said, because it's conditioning takes a while. And so, you know, helping her with dialogue, well, how would you say it? And um, you just lovingly say, sweetie, I'm taking a shower. Do you want to come in with me? And I come in and hang on the bathroom and play while I'm showering. And, and she's like, wow, I feel like really silly. I'm like, please don't, because so many people do that. They just don't get it. So yeah, it takes time. So a lot of us who are really called to this philosophy, we also have, as parents, a lot of interests and hopes and dreams and visions and projects. Talk about navigating, speaking of finding a situation where everybody's needs are met. How do we be facilitators of our children's journeys, as well as balancing, you know, you're a doula, midwife, entrepreneur, author, speaker, coach, how do you balance all of these um, desires to do a good job in all these arenas of life? Well, I just know that when you love doing something, it, you're able to do it with ease. And it's a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that I still say, tell myself today, like different mantras I have. And one is that everything I want to do, I'll be able to do today. Everything I want to get done, everything, it, it all just works out each and every day. So for me, I don't have a schedule. I just flow with a natural ebb and flow of the day. And ever since my kids were little, when everybody's occupied is when I kind of flow to my work. I wake up before everybody. I know with babies and toddlers, I didn't do this with babies and toddlers. I was just all in, immersed in motherhood. You know, it was, it's harder. But as your kids get a little older, whenever there is that moment is when you, when you do what you need to do. You, whether you jump online, answer emails, I schedule coaching calls, um, I let my kids know, I prepare them before. So there's a lot of preparation, saying I have a coaching call in an hour, can I get you guys some food before, Help. what can I help you with, and really just connecting with them and, and communicating and navigating. So it all can be done, it can, when you have that mindset. And when everybody's happy and their needs are met, you'd be so surprised with how much time you have when you're not controlling your kids and saying, I gotta get them off the technology and gosh, I got to get them involved in some kind of project because I'm so afraid, you know, allow your kids to do what they need to do and what they want to do. And you'll be blown away with how many more hours in the day you have because they have freedom to play with their toys, do this, do that. Control takes so much time. Control is the biggest time suck. And yeah. energy suck. Yes, exactly. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to try to control something that is wild and beautiful and that just wants to blossom, you know. Yeah. I'm, as you're saying that, I'm reminded of all the times that when I've had projects or work that I wanted to do, oh, it's going to make me cry, actually. The times when my boy, who's only five, he'll go and make a meal and bring it in because I do that for him when he's doing his projects. I just make a little snack and say, honey, do you want a snack? And I just bring him. He's only five. 
and he's doing that for me. Mama, do you want some water? And he'll bring me water when I'm working. You know, that is not a philosophy that we talk about. It's just how we live and um, how quickly our children follow suit when we just choose to live in a certain way and model this way of being. Beyond yeah. dogma or philosophy, you know, it's not, it's not really, it's just a way of being as humans, kind and respectful and recognizing that everybody's needs matter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I do truly believe that people know this truth within them. So what I do is I just reawaken it. I allow people um, the ability to just acknowledge it, to say that when you were three years old and somebody was telling you that you were bad and that you shouldn't be doing this and, and you were so misunderstood and you knew that it sounded really uncomfortable and strange, you, you were right. You were always right as a child about everything that felt wrong and unjust. And it's really powerfully emotional. And, um, so parents, you, you know this. If this resonates with you, it's there. You know when you hear truth. And most of the time when I'm working with people, it's just parents will say, oh, I wanted to do that so much, but I just, you know, the outside pressures felt so wrong, you know, in, in me making these choices for freedom. But once you do it and you realize that so many people are living this way now and every day there's more and more and more, this is just evolution of consciousness and in regards to the rights and respect that children deserve. I mean, it wasn't very long ago that men were told to beat their wives if dinner wasn't on the table on time. And that was told by, it was taught by their fathers, by their friends. This is, was a thing, you know, it's, and all that's happening now is that it's time for children, we're extending it outwards for children to have these same rights. And so although this might be really crazy and new to a lot of people, our great grandchildren, of course, we're not going to punish them. Are you kidding? This is like, we're going to be looked back on history when we're, we're sharing these stories with our kids, you know, our grandkids and our great grandkids. That can you believe that this was done to children? It'll be an extremely shameful time in history. And I'm really glad we're evolving. And I'm honored to be somebody who's, you know, on the forefront of this. But I think a lot of you listening probably feel that draw too, to be on the forefront of this movement. So. I'm so glad you had me on, Dr. Edith. You guys, please read Raising Rebels. There's um, some really interesting stories there about how this type of human that is so free thinking and so confident in their inner compass, how do the old world and the new world collide? The really profound moments in this Raising Rebels book is you tell this story of your daughter was in London, I believe, and yeah. met a, a cute boy and her and her girlfriend and the two girls and two boys, two unschooled girls and two yep. boys went out on an adventure in the city, really wonderful, and you were just checking in on them. And I guess there were some mean girls that they encountered. And there was something like an altercation. And for me as a parent, as I was reading that story, I had a little, oh my gosh, you know, worry about their safety, right? That's our natural instinct as parents. But you shared the most beautiful story of how the mean girls started saying mean things to your daughter and her friend, and they just let it slide so gracefully. They didn't engage. Like they kept saying things like, your makeup is wrong, your outfit is this and that, like just trying to throw criticisms at them. And they were just like, no, it's not true. 
Yeah, they were like, okay, what's your opinion? Yeah, and they, yeah. they and then eventually it turned into what could have been physical violence, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then they just got up and walked away. And these yeah. two boys witnessed the two unschooled teenage girls holding their power and their confidence and just i'm not drawn to this kind of conflict this is pure silliness i'm just gonna walk away from it mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah it was a such a powerful example of the possibility of confident self-empowered humans who don't seek the approval of some outside force there's a level of street smarts that happens with that too yeah i mean kids are victims when their parents are in the authoritarian paradigm and punishing them and, and building, you know, with controls and limits and all of this, the, the breaking down of the self-esteem is powerful. And so, you know, as a kid myself at that age, I was very triggered by other girls making comments to me because I thought it was true, you know, it could be true. And I didn't have enough self-worth or self-confidence or inner knowing to, to have that force field around me to be like, you're talking nonsense. I mean, I, course I'm wonderful you know like I never had that like my kids have and so um when they're unfazed and they're not triggered by mean comments nasty comments bullying they're just that they seem kind of crazy the girls were like what are these people doing like what is this so let's let's leave and um, unlike um if you're in the authoritarian paradigm you're used to conflicts you're used to power struggles you're used to fighting for your freedom and your rights. And you just get locked into that when somebody pushes that up against you. You're just like, well, I guess I'm fighting because this is the dynamic that they're leading and I have to follow because this is what I'm conditioned to do. But when you live in partnership with your kids, they understand, they handle peace. They model world peace in all that they do just naturally because you're modeling it at home. If you're living in an authoritarian paradigm, you're modeling that power rules and they, they're in that space of being a victim and powerless their whole lives as well-intentioned as you are as a parent thinking it's the right thing but it's not not if you want to raise strong confident whole people who can live their purpose fully so yeah there's some powerful stories in the book that i share just to give examples and um i i really recommend raising rebels my book radical unschooling the first one um, i wrote like 12 years ago so i had a one-year-old a three-year-old a five-year-old and seven-year-old. So I only had so much experience. It was kind of like the transition uh, to this life with toddlers and, and little kids. But if you're interested in like taking it to the next level, Raising Rebels definitely applies a lot of the basic, basic philosophy from the first book into the older years. So I'm writing another one for the next stages because my kids, two of them are adults. And um, I have two teenagers. Well, my son Orion's 12 and a half, but he likes to call himself a teenager. And um, yeah, so the next book will be even better, I hope. I think it will. People will be able to look way into the future and see. Yes. And the more families start living this, the more beautiful examples of all the diversities of experiences that can come together living this new paradigm. So we all are here to learn and support and grow one another. Can you tell us how you work with clients? What, what does your work entail? You do Skype consultations, how does it work? Well, I, usually, I use Zoom and so I do one-on-one coaching, which is really great, I love it. It's something that I, I think it's my, my favorite, most purposeful, passion-filled role that I have. And, um, because I love working with parents one-on-one and having that connection and supporting them. It was something I never had on this path. 
And I, it so deeply would have helped me, but there was no one doing this. and There was no people coaching or supporting others doing this. So I learned the hard way, I guess, through trial and error, although I wouldn't change it for anything. And um, in doing so, it gave me a really solid confidence on this path that I was totally tuned into my intuition, but I want to help other people with it. And so oftentimes my coaching relationships, these people you know, become my friends and we have like years and years of a friendship built and to have that community is so important. So I do when I'm on coaching, you can go to danamartin.com and check out the different things I offer. I also do group coaching once a week, which is really fun. I have a bunch of parents together in this wonderful online community and it's a whole different level. Everybody learns from each other. And uh, again, a beautiful offering that I just started last year and I love it. Parents love it. And um, I also um, run conferences and I speak. So I'm hosting the first ever Miami Unschooling Conference in April of 2021, which will be an international conference and it'll be a really great event, so people can come attend that. Yeah, but I anything it's all on my website, the different offerings that I that I share. I forgot to ask you, what are your four kids up to these days? If you can okay. give us a little quick sampling of what wonderful human beings they've become through this unschooled yeah. life. Sure. So one thing I do want to say is that it's funny because getting in the bragging mom mode um, is challenging for me because I, I just want everyone to know that whatever I'm sharing about my kids is possible for all children. That my kids aren't like exceptional compared to the average child. It's just they've been given freedom. So some of the things they're doing are exceptional because they've lived in this paradigm. But everybody's children have potential to do everything my kids are and more, 10 times more even. So it's like, it's endless what your kids are capable of. So my son, Devin, who is 21, um, he has he's a computer programmer he was a blacksmith for many years he was self-taught he had his own etsy store selling knives and swords and so he's kind of multi-professioned and i think a lot of people will find this on this path that our kids much like us even uh, are multi-professioned in this new paradigm there's not just one profession it's not you know it's funny i had people asking my kids before like what are you going to be when you grow up and they had no conception of that at all they were like what I'm something now. Like, what are you talking about when I grow up? It's like somebody asking us, what are you going to do in retirement, Edith? What is your plans for retirement? And you're like, well, I haven't even, what? I, so kids are, the, my kids are the same way. So my, my son was a blacksmith. He's a computer programmer now. Um, he's a game, he makes games, game maker. And he's very happy doing that. And he lives with his girlfriend, his fiance, actually. They were supposed to get married in April, but because of the pandemic, everything got kind of pushed. So he's been with her for four, four years, actually almost five years. They met at an unschooling conference that I hosted in Texas, fell in love. She's been unschooled and her siblings as well, from the, mostly from the beginning. Um, and so they're a great match because um, they, they get each other and they've been respected and live in freedom. My daughter, uh, Tiffany, she is an aspiring model and she's an aspiring musician. And um, she is one of the most amazing, powerful people that I've ever met. She's looking at me right now. She happened to walk by. Yes, Tiff. <laughs> Such a beautiful young lady at age 18. And um, so she's a, like an influencer. Out of all the kids, she, she really loves um, pop culture. She loves pop culture music. She always has been. We facilitated that. I facilitated that for her whole life. Even though some of the things challenged me, you know, um, I've really um, stepped into a place of accepting her fully in that way. 
So she is very talented. She's very artistic. She loves photography. And she's recently started, well, I have a business called Indigo Rose where I sell organic vegan Ayurvedic skincare. It's just a little side passion hustle I have. And so she's helped me. She's joined me in that business and she has her own line. And so she's doing that. That's great. And um, my daughter, Ivy, who's 15. Now she is probably right now, she's most active with me in advocacy for this life. All of my kids have been at different stages. They've all spoken. They've traveled with me all over the world. In the beginning, Devin was really into advocating with me and helping run events. And uh, my daughter, Tiffany, for a while. But now Ivy is in that space. She, um, she runs a small animal rescue. And that's her passion. And so we have, I think, nine animals. She has a ball python, a hedgehog, a bunch of guinea pigs, hamster, and she rescues them. And she's very passionate about that. She's studying to be a veterinarian. So she wakes up every morning completely self-motivated and studies for hours. Um, she has like aced every single college course she's taken um, totally on her own. In fact, the interesting thing was a couple months ago, she said, just so you know, mom, I just I signed up for school. I want to become a veterinarian, which I knew. And, but she t and I told her, I'll help you with that. We can find a good program. She said, no, no, I found it. I'm good. I'm, I'm all set. And she, she's amazingly self-motivated. So all kids have that potential. She's also um, an amazing guitarist. And we have a private tutor come, or private guitar teacher come, which is so great about Miami. You can have anything to your house, which is amazing. So I'm from New Hampshire, which we never had any of these resources. Moving to Miami. And she's really, really into heavy metal music, like, and I am too, actually. I was a total metalhead um, my whole teen years, and even now I love metal music, which sounds probably crazy to people. They might not know that about me. Um, but Ivy and I really bond over that. We go to concerts together. She loves Marilyn Manson, which again might trigger some people to hear. And she see, she's read his um, autobiography, and I brought her to meet him actually last year. And we spent some time with him talking about unschooling and who she is and her life. And that was amazing. Um, and my son Orion is 12, and he's really into gaming. He loves gaming, but he's also really into swimming and kind of doing activities that are physical. And his latest passion with me is cooking. He loves cooking all of a sudden. So that, that world has kind of burst open. And yeah, so that's what they're up to. I mean, there's so many more things that they're up to, too. I, I just, that was kind of off the top of my head. Yeah. So they didn't become a feral, no. <laughs> rowdy causer of chaos in the world. Right. And they're not lazy because they were never forced to do anything. All of this, you know, they're not just sitting around eating cookies on the couch all day. They're, they're self-motivated people, like incredibly so. I'm blown away, actually, you know, even though I believe in this philosophy wholeheartedly and I trust it from the very beginning without any doubt. And I know that's rare, but I just for some reason never did. I knew to see it, to see, you know, two adults living their passion and are so self-motivated in different ways. And so, you know, the bottom line is my children are happy. And so I know that happiness leads to success, where in our culture, children are taught to do the opposite, that success you know, you can be happy once you're successful, but we'll tell you what success is. We'll we will tell you and control you to our version of success because we know better than you. Well, unschooling philosophy tips all of that upside down. It's not true. We believe our kids. We trust that if they're doing what they love every day, then it, then it will lead to success. And it has for my children. They have always facilitated their business ideas. It's a very hands-on role. This, this is not for the lazy parent. It's not at all. And um, it's very involved, but it's 
extremely joy-based. So when everybody's doing what they want and they're happy and content, it takes some time to find ways to meet everybody's needs, but things just happen with ease. Life happens with ease on this path. It does, not just for such me. A, such a paradox. This paradigm is not for the lazy parent, and yet it feels, at least my experience so far, very nutritious and nourishing and generative. Like yeah. I get so much richness out of living in this way that I had no idea was possible. You know, so yeah, it takes energy to, to bring forth a new way of living as a family, but it nourishes you continuously because you're learning yes. and growing with your children and you're constantly excited and wowed by what they're up to instead of trying to squash that spirit, which is exhausting actually. Yeah, it's very unnatural and very damaging to try to do that. So. Yeah, this philosophy is powerful. It's one of the most powerful things we could do for our world right now. It is because so much dysfunction that's happening out there is from control and abuse and modeling that power rules. And this is very different. This is modeling world peace in your home. It truly is. And so this is, there's nothing better that we could be doing for the world in the state that it is right now than raising our kids with peace, partnership, and connection because they then learn that everybody's needs matter, everyone world the world's needs matter everybody on this planet and it can be done to focus on that and meeting everybody's needs so if you want world peace start at home okay to tie up this amazing conversation our show and our community is all about tapping into our highest levels of human possibilities and the whole conversation has been about that but after at least two decades of living this new paradigm life if you were to distill all of that down into one simple essence, one single piece of advice for us, what is the number one most important advice we should listen to on our journey of stepping into our highest levels of human possibilities? Assume positive intent from your children, from those around you, the people that you love. I really think that assuming positive intent changes everything because our culture is taught to assume negative intent from from our children to never you know they're going to manipulate you if you if you let them assume that they're doing bad things they're born into this world you know bad and we need to make them good we need to force them to be good assuming positive intent and knowing that your children are always doing the best they can with what they know at any given time and just those two things will soften your heart and will bring you back to what you knew as a child. And if you were only treated that way, you know, it's, it's something you deserved. And now we can do it. We can heal our own childhood from giving our kids what we didn't have. Thank you so much, Dana. That was such a rich and beautiful conversation. And it went into, I think we all feel it not only had so many powerful practical tips and advice for parenting but really it reached deep into our hearts into our soul into what it means to be a human yeah. and you are such a breath of fresh air in this world where we are having all these struggles and confusions and i just i feel such 
deep gratitude and respect and appreciation for your example of both being such a radical badass and also <laughs> so soft and loving and allowing this everybody talks about unconditional love out there but you are showing us the example of how to live that in the family life and the magic that's possible as a side effect of that I, i'm at a loss for words to express my gratitude for you wow thank you well thank you so much for inviting me i know it took us a couple of days to really connect but we were both right in that like the perfect moment would unfold and it's going to be just the best connection the two of us sharing and i love connecting with you it's it's kind of hard in our culture and me just moving to connect with my tribe with people that i feel understood and people that get me and the first time you connected with me i just felt that spark that friendship spark that feels so good like yes oh my goodness i can feel the oneness between her and i and i can't wait to do this interview so I would love to come back on and answer more questions. That would be great. So thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Edith. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, hi guys. Yay. Hi. Bye, Dana. Thank you so, so much, Dana, for your time. We love you thank so you. much. We're so appreciative of you. Oh, I love you guys too. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, dredithubuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.